Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up, the United States slaps a new round of sanctions on Russia and its partners today on the one-year anniversary of the Russia-Ukraine war. We speak with two nonprofit organizations that are helping Ukrainians in need. They give us an on-the-ground update of the situation. Fallout from the East Palestine train derailment. Officials in Texas are concerned that toxic water from the state may be coming to their state. What measures are they taking? New inflation data out today, coming in hotter than expected, complicating things for the Fed. A new study says the Fed may actually need a recession to beat rising prices. We talk with a business advisor. And some recent fake AI videos have been going viral. We talk with an IT professor about the current state and dangers of this fake content. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Inflation unexpectedly picked up speed in January. Today, the Commerce Department says the PCE, or Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, rose 5.4% over the last year. This is higher than the previous month and also higher than what economists were expecting. The so-called core PCE price index increased 0.6% for the month and was up 4.7% from a year ago. This is also higher than the previous month's data. On Wall Street closed well down today, dragging all three main indexes to their biggest weekly drop this year. A slew of economic data fueled worries that the Fed might have to keep rates higher and for longer. The Dow fell 337 points or 1%, S&P lost 42 points, also 1%, NASDAQ lost 195 points, 1.7%. And a recession may be needed for inflation to come down. This was the conclusion after a group of top economists reviewed central banks' past inflation battles. They looked at over a dozen of central banks' fights against inflation and found no significant disinflation happened without a recession. They looked at the histories of the United States, Germany, Canada, and the United Kingdom. In fact, the research found that the Federal Reserve may miss its 2% inflation target for years to come. And now joining me live is Carol Roth, former investment banker and author of the book War on Small Business. So, Carol, we got the inflation numbers earlier today, came in hotter than expected. Are we still on a downward trend for inflation? What's your take on the PCE data today? Yeah, no, it's interesting how you're saying these economists didn't really expect it. You know, from my standpoint, it really shouldn't be a surprise. The Fed's been trying to uh, tamper demands, and they're running into a consumer who is very much employed and is likely to remain employed given the supply-demand imbalance that we're seeing in the labor market. And unfortunately, the Fed doesn't have the tools to address supply. So they don't print oil, they don't print labor, they don't print housing, they don't print food the way they print dollars. So none of these, you know, sort of core fundamental issues, Don, have been addressed. And I think that they remain long-term structural issues. So then what do you think? Can we reduce inflation without having a recession? So I guess it depends on who we mean by we. I mean, if you mean the United States, we absolutely can. I think that there are policies that could address the undersupply issues in key energy or key areas like energy or labor or housing, and that would have sort of an immediate impact um, as well as a long-term economic impact and maybe allow us to return to some normalcy. But the one area I'm not hearing enough people talk about is this concept of avoiding a personal 
personal recession over an economic recession. We have basically an economy that's staying afloat because consumers are dipping into their savings and they're also running up a lot of debt. We saw credit card debt is nearing a $1 trillion mark. And so you have the consumer who is keeping the economy afloat, but they're doing it at their expense uh, of their own long-term wealth. And I think, unfortunately, that's somewhat the elephant in the room. And what I want to know is, you also uh, mentioned this earlier, what happens when we only rely on the Fed uh, when it comes to the inflation fight? Yeah, I think like anything else with central planning, you get this distortion. We've been seeing it from their zero interest rate policy that went on um, you know, for the greater part of a decade and a half. And some of the other decisions they made, they were off on timing and, and just a lot of, of crazy decisions. And so the idea that we have this one entity that can somehow fix the economy, I think is, is very dangerous. I think they have the knowledge and the tools to do it is very dangerous. I personally would be in favor of abolishing their mandate over the long term. What do you think about alongside relying on the Fed? What about increasing productivity? What about trying to increase workforce participation? Yeah, I mean, all of those kinds of things that goes back to, you know, kind of more traditional fiscal policy on the energy side, something that was more favorable to fossil fuels on the labor side, like you said, things that get people back into the labor force, whether it's through legal immigration or maybe taking away some of the incentives to stay on the sideline. All of those kinds of things, I think, are what we should be focusing on because it addresses that supply side issue and isn't all about quashing demands. And, you know, I was looking at your newsletter and you had this sentence in there, sort of the Fed is playing God, if you will, with the economy. Do you do you want to elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I mean, it's when you have a handful of people who are making the decisions, instead of letting the free markets make those decisions, you're always going to get bad outcomes. Anytime you've had central planning take control um, at scale over long periods of time, it's never worked throughout history, anywhere at any point in time. So I do think giving that much power to the Fed to, you know, quote unquote, play God with the economy is a really bad idea and it's something that we need to rethink as a country. And just quickly, you know, you, you mentioned central planning just now. Of course, that relates to socialism. According yeah. to a Pew Research Center survey, actually more than a third of Americans view socialism positively. Uh, some <laughs> Americans see socialism as more likely to, you know, meet people's needs. What do you think? Yeah, I think this is the outgrowth of not teaching economic and finance principles in school. You know, it's very idyllic to think that the government has your best interest at heart and that they're going to take care of you. But when you understand economics and you understand incentives and how those motivate behavior and you understand uh, basic human nature, you know, as I said before, at scale, this has never worked. And so I think that we need to get back to educating people and making them understand what what does work, and that is letting the free market take control. All right. Thank you very much, Carol. Good talking to you again. You as well. Meanwhile, officials in Texas are worried about wastewater from the Ohio train derailment that may be coming to their state. Harris County Commissioner Adriana Garcia says a Houston area company has been hired to dispose of the water. 
She is promising to closely monitor the situation to make sure any wastewater brought to her county does not put anyone at risk. Garcia says she is talking to pollution control officials and the fire marshal about the potential risk. Those pollution officials and the county's district attorney's office are also asking the waste company and the EPA for more information. Meta is releasing a new large language model based on artificial intelligence in an attempt to compete with rival tech firms. The tech company's new AI-based system is called Llama. CEO Mark Zuckerberg gave the announcement in a Facebook post today. The move makes Meta the latest company to join the AI race. The battle to dominate the AI technology space kicked off late last year with the launch of OpenAI's ChatGPT. The software's release prompted heavyweights like Google Parent Alphabet to create their own products. Zuckerberg said that language models have shown promise in generating text and conversations, as well as summarizing written material and performing complicated tasks. He added that Meta will make its model available to the AI research community. So it's already hard enough to discern chatbot-created content, but now AI-generated misinformation is hitting the Internet. NTD's John Marshall has an update on the most recent activity. Fake AI-generated content has been getting increasingly easier to make, causing more viral videos to pop up around the Internet. Most recently, AI-generated speech was used to make a fake interview of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau speaking with American podcaster comedian and UFC announcer Joe Rogan. In the video, they seemingly discuss topics such as blackface and the Freedom Convoy, among other assorted things. The video went viral quickly, gaining over 100,000 views. Did you wear blackface three times? I did not wear blackface. But there's pictures of you wearing it? Those pictures are uh, fake. The genie is out of the bottle at this point, so whether we like it or not, the technology is coming. Professor Alan Dennis studies fake news and AI media generation technology. He brought me up to speed on where we are as a society dealing with fake generated content. Last year, I said it was going to take us 10 years to get to the point where we would have good AI. And okay, it was only off by nine years, maybe. Um, So I'll say two years, but take that with a grain of salt because things are changing so quickly right now. And just last week, another fake Joe Rogan interview was made advertising a product on Amazon. This involves realistic video with the sound. According to Dennis, advanced technology has been accelerating much faster than experts previously expected. Well, look, that AlphaGrind product is all over TikTok. If you go to Amazon and you type in libido booster for men, you're going to find it right at the top. If it's something like a hot mic incident where somebody says something they don't know they're being recorded, we're never really going to know if that's true or fake again because the leader will deny ever having said it anyway. So it is just going to be a mess. The field of generative AI is developing quickly, and you can be sure NTD News will keep up with the latest news on scams, propaganda, and innovation changes. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Turning to the Russia-Ukraine war on the first anniversary of the invasion, the United States has announced sweeping new sanctions on Russia and its partners. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more. President Biden has announced new sanctions against Russia and anyone aiding Russia. 
He met virtually today with G7 leaders and Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. The U.S. Treasury Department calls these sanctions the most significant to date. Russia's metals and mining sector is among those targeted, along with banks, arms dealers and tech companies tied to weapons production. The United States will implement sweeping sanctions against key sectors that generate revenue for Putin, go after more Russian banks, Russia's defense and technology industry, and actors in, in third-party countries that are attempting to backfill and evade our sanctions. The measures also include export controls against Chinese-based entities known to have assisted the Russian war machine. Putin hosted a top Beijing diplomat on Wednesday and said he was expecting Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping to visit Moscow in the coming months. And White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan announced new aid for Ukraine yesterday. He says the U.S. will provide an additional $2 billion in security assistance. Today marks the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and is a topic of our special report. The violent invasion has had huge global repercussions for energy, economics, geopolitics, and the role of American leadership. And of course, perhaps no other country has been affected more than Ukraine itself. Over 300,000 people estimated to be killed or wounded. Millions fled their homes. The country has experienced an estimated $138 billion worth of damage from residential buildings, infrastructure, transportation, agriculture. We spoke with the CEO of Ukraine Friends, Joe Sullivan. Ukraine Friends is a nonprofit organization that works both inside and outside of Ukraine to help civilians. Sullivan says one problem he's seeing is that there's not enough first aid equipment getting to the people who need it. What we see on the ground every day is heartbreaking. There, it feels like there's an imbalance of access to uh, resources across um, across this war. We're seeing a lot of military equipment being supplied, but what we really want to see is the same level of medical equipment and support for uh, the people who are kind of living in the middle of this war zone. Ukraine Friends has shipped over 75,000 first aid kits into the country, as well as other medical equipment. It sent 90 ambulances to Ukraine to address an ambulance shortage. It's currently in the process of sending 22 more. Ukraine Friends has two warehouses inside the country, which it uses to store supplies. Sullivan says that based on what he sees and hears on the ground, the war doesn't seem close to ending. It feels like there is a imbalance in terms of access to resources between the two different sides in this conflict. It, it, it feels like the people of Ukraine are, are standing up mightily in the face of much larger resources. Um, it is, it's great to see Western governments and, and, and honestly governments from around the world stepping up and helping the people of Ukraine. And we hope to see more of that. And we definitely want to see more of that on the humanitarian side, not just on the military side. If you're curious about Ukraine Friends, go to ukrainefriends.org. We also talked with someone from Ukraine, Vladimir Gendelman. He was born in Kharkiv, a city that the war has heavily damaged. From what he can see, he also doesn't think the war will be over soon. But he does admire the Ukrainian soldiers for their service to their country. You have to acknowledge... um Ukrainian uh, spirit for fighting, 
for not giving up. Uh, it's been a year and, and Ukrainians are standing their ground and, and in my opinion, they're doing a great job. Um, now we are sending more aid to them uh, in terms of the actual weapons and tanks and machinery that, that, that helps them fight better. The war heavily interrupted Gendelman's printing business. He currently runs the business called Company Folders, Inc. from Michigan. And most of his employees have left Ukraine. But before the war, many of them were still in Ukraine. The invasion made it difficult for them to work. When the war started, when my employees were still in Kharkiv, um, we, we talked every day, numerous times a day. And as I talked to them on the phone, I can hear the rockets coming down. I can hear the bombs. I can hear the buildings shaking. I can hear the screams that are coming from us. It, 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 it was a horrible situation. But uh, the most important thing is that we were able to help our employees get to safety. Uh, most of them are out of the country. He started a nonprofit called RealHelpForUkraine.org. So far, he's raised $600,000 worth of donations, including medical supplies and money. As the war enters its second year, China has proposed a ceasefire plan. But the West reacted with skepticism to the proposal today. Here's Secretary of State Antony Blinken earlier today on ABC. But, you know, there are 12 points in the Chinese plan. If they were serious about the first one, sovereignty, then uh, this war could end tomorrow. China's been trying to have it both ways. It's, on the one hand, trying to present itself publicly as neutral and seeking peace, while at the same time, it is talking up Russia's false narrative about the war. Blinken also said China has provided non-lethal assistance to Russia through its companies and that the U.S. has intelligence that Beijing is considering providing lethal support. China has called the allegation a smear. The NATO Secretary General also said Beijing did not have a lot of credibility as a mediator. He noted that Beijing had signed an agreement with Russia only days before its invasion of Ukraine a year ago. Meanwhile, about 6 in 10 Americans say they are gravely concerned about China, and less than 6 in 10 of Americans are worried about Russia. This according to a new survey. The Association Press Nork Center for Public Affairs Research conducted the poll, speaking to over 1,200 adults in February. U.S.-China tensions have skyrocketed in recent weeks after the shootdown of a Chinese spy balloon that had floated across the U.S. Other concerns about Beijing's center on it possibly giving military support for Russia's war in Ukraine and how it impacts U.S. economic health. Looking at policy, the White House has kept tariffs on imports from China while limiting advanced microchip exports to the country. Both of those moves have drawn anger from Beijing. Biden has also tried to frame relations with China as a competition with boundaries rather than a geopolitical clash. Taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, despite high inflation, 401k participants managed to keep their savings rates steady at the end of last year. And with egg prices soaring, ever thought about raising your own hens for eggs? A lifestyle expert tells us it's actually not that hard and saves money. That and more coming up on NTD Business.
and welcome back. Despite higher prices, endless talk of a possible recession and falling markets, 401k participants managed to keep their savings rates relatively steady in the fourth quarter of last year. That's according to new data from Fidelity Investments, one of the largest providers of workplace retirement plans. Fidelity says the number of IRAs on its platform increased in 2022. According to Fidelity's fourth quarter results for 2022, the average IRA balance was $104,000. That's a 36% increase from 10 years ago. That said, thanks to poor performances in both stocks and bonds last year, the fourth quarter average marked a 23% drop from the same time last year. The price of a dozen eggs was up 150% in January from a year prior. So with prices so high at about almost $5 a dozen, according to government data, what can the average consumer do? Well, here's an idea. What about raising your own hens? Joining me now is Lisa Steele. Now, first of all, Lisa, thank you so much for being here. She's a lifestyle expert, chicken keeper, and author of the book, The Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. Now, Lisa, I wanted to ask you today, you know, with egg prices so high, I don't know how many of us have thought about this. What about raising your own hens for eggs? Is it worth it? Just talk a little bit about that. You know, I I think it's a great idea. It's not necessarily something that you can do in the short term and save any money, but as a long-term investment, absolutely. You know, anybody who got chickens back in 2008 or 2009 during the recession is pretty happy right now because they've got free eggs in their backyard. But it takes a while to get set up. There's some initial startup costs and baby chicks don't start laying eggs for about five months. So it's not something that you can just, you know, get chickens and expect you're going to start saving money right away. And on that point, can you talk a little bit in more detail what the process actually entails? Yeah, I mean, first, if people are thinking about it, they should contact their town or a municipality, make sure that they can have chickens. A lot of suburban and even urban areas have started to allow chickens. So definitely check with your town, see if there's a limit on how many chickens you can have. There might be a permit you need to get. And then after that, you know, I would say do a little bit of of research, you know, maybe read some articles, you know, pick up a book or two just so you know the basics, what chickens eat and how to take care of them. They're going to need a coop or a house to live in and a, a pen. So, you know, when they're out during the day, nothing eats them because everything likes to eat chickens. But they're they're really not too difficult. You know, you feed them, you give them water, you let them out in the morning, you check for eggs, you lock them back up at night. So the the basics are are pretty simple to to kind of get under your belt. And then it's just a question of refining your, your system and your setup. I think most of us don't own farms. So I wonder how much space do you need to raise hens? really not a lot chickens are small as you know and for an average family of four five or six chickens is going to lay about a dozen eggs every other day so you know you'll be getting a lot of eggs plenty for your family and for six chickens if you have a coop that's about four by four or six by four so not much larger than a doghouse and a small attached pen that's going to be plenty of room for them So taking in consideration all the cost that is needed to raise hens, five or six, let's say, is it less expensive to buy eggs from the grocery store in comparison? Yeah, I think it would. It would would start to pay off really quickly. Chickens don't eat a lot of food and you can supplement their diet with kitchen scraps. 
they eat pretty much everything. So we give our chicken left leftover fruits and vegetables and grains and meat. They'll eat everything. So you can cut your feed bill that way. And of course, in the nice weather, they can be outside eating grass and weeds, which will also cut the expense of raising them. And Lisa, what about how it compares to the grocery store eggs in terms of taste, uh, size? What do you think? That's where it really comes down to. It's not just the cost of the eggs. You're never going to get eggs as fresh at the grocery store as you get from your backyard, obviously. And the taste is so much better because they are eating a varied diet. But if you do go to the grocery store to buy eggs, you can often find a local farm that might be supplying eggs to your grocery store. So those eggs won't have traveled as far and hopefully they'll be from a smaller farm. So they will be outside. You wanna look for pasture raised on the egg carton because that means the chickens actually are outside on grass or pasture or wooded area. So if you care at all about how the chicken that laid the eggs you're eating is treated, you definitely wanna look for pasture raised eggs. Thank you so much today, Lisa. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for having me. And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, email us at business at NTD.com. Thank you for watching. See you next week.